Well, Jake, today we're talking about music, and I can't really think of an intro, so we should probably just get straight to our musical theme song. Cool, Cameron. Cue the music. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Region Unlocked. My name is Cameron. And I am Jake. And today we are recording on August 8th, 2022. Jake. Hey. Hey, Cameron. What's up? Oh, not much. Just ready to talk about some music. The, some of the, the history of music in our favorite N64 games today. But before that, tell me what is going on in your life. Sounds good to me. Oh, sound. Yeah, like even that game. little drum thing. Ha ha ha, very good. Okay, so uh, what has been going on with me? Well, since we talked last... Um, oh, uh, Obon Week has started, which I talked a little bit last episode. Mm-hmm. And that is the, well, unofficial Japanese summer holiday. So I got the next week off, more or less. Very excited about that. Nice. I'm going to be, yeah, spending some time off, relaxing, sleeping in, doing some official work chores you know wow it's already starting to sound boring <laughs> okay <laughs> no but uh, uh this first day kicked off pretty all right i'd say because i got some good exercise um i decided i would do most of my official work early on i had to get a document today for uh, a bank account and <laughs> i had to go to the city hall okay and uh in japan the sh- uh the city hall is called shiyakusho and I wrote that down because, show, yeah. <laughs> I wrote that down because I can't remember the kanji. <laughs> so um, the one that I had to go to was a train ride and a walk away. It took me about 40 minutes one way, and it was so freaking hot outside. Typical Japanese summer. The cicadas were screaming, and you get mowed down very closely by many bikes driving mm. or past you because there's a lot of bikes here. So recommendation, if anyone comes to Japan... Be aware that if you walk around, you will be experiencing a lot of bike traffic. You have to keep those eyes in the back of your head. Not literally. That's weird. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) there's a lot of bikes here. Uh, Keep that in mind. Okay. So um, I got the thing today, and I just want to tell you about my experience. Whenever I go here, because you have to go to the uh, city hall sometimes for whatever official work that you have to do. Yeah. And there is zero English there, first off. And that's pretty typical with a lot of Japanese places. And I'm okay. I can get through and I can typically get by at this point. Yeah. But the person who greeted me today was so enthusiastic about helping a foreigner. <laughs> she, I just I just let her help me. Like she ran me through every single thing and she was so excited about that, even though I already knew what to do. So I just, I just let her do her job. And I was very appreciative at the very end. So uh, another thing, if anyone decides to come to Japan and visit, keep in mind, people are very polite and they are very willing to help you, even if you don't speak the language. <laughs> so I just wanted to throw that out there today. Very appreciative of that woman. And uh, I might be visiting Kyoto over break. Oh, yeah? What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, I'm going to be visiting some friends, most likely, depending on when they uh, get their time off as well. So they're going to get back to me about that. But um, I'd like to be able to walk by the Nintendo headquarters like I did last time. Mm-hmm. And uh, fun little tourist info for people who do decide to visit Kyoto. If you come by the bullet train, which is the basic main station there. If you walk south about 20 minutes, you will see the gigantic, very unimpressive, sterile white building that is the (laughs) Nintendo headquarters, and uh, (laughs) it's right there. So, yeah, very easy to find, and I will take some pictures and probably do a little bit of a diary, if you will. But there's, like, nothing to do, though, right? It's just, hey, look at that very plain building. That's everything that you can do, but you'd be surprised. You will see other people doing the same thing, <laughs> just taking Dang. pictures, almost like making a pilgrimage to the to the home of where our childhoods were formed kind of thing. I'm so, surprised they don't offer tours. Do they do tours? Uh, Maybe you don't know? Actually, they don't. It's very secretive, understandably so, and it, there's a lot of security. 
Yeah. But if you are able to secure like some kind of an official tour, which you have to like spend a lot of time booking and you have to get special permission for, they yeah. will only let you into the, I think first or second floor of the building to a very specific room that's meant for receiving guests. And that it's a tatami sense. room. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's called a washitsu. So it's a traditional Japanese room, which is very beautiful. I've seen videos of it online, but that's the only place guests are allowed to visit. And from there you can talk with whatever uh, employees you need to talk with or do whatever interviews you need to do. So mm. Yeah, Nintendo. Dang. I know. <laughs> Even the outside window windows are very tinted as well. It's like, okay, I understand. Secrets. Important yes. secrets. secrets. They're like, hmm, how can we screw over our consumers more without them realizing it? That's exactly what they're doing up in the top <laughs> uh, floors as they look out the windows. <laughs> Mamma mia. All right, anyway. Oh so, yeah, that's what's been going on with me. What about you, Cameron? Oh, quite a bit, actually. Nothing... Too much gaming-wise. So, two days ago, Jason and I... You guys know Jason. He's a cool guy. He's been here plenty. We did Tough Mudder. The, do you know what that is? I've heard of that. You've done that before. Yeah, so people who... If you haven't heard, it's just a, a long, muddy obstacle course. And Jason and I last did it eight years ago. And it's so unreal that... I was 23 last time. I'm 31 now. I was probably in the best shape of my life last time we did this. And <laughs> this time, I had trained a lot early in the summer, but then once July hit, I uh, twisted my ankle and couldn't Ooh. work out for a week. And then I was in Scotland, and then I came back with COVID. So that was like three solid weeks of just like losing all of my progress. But I thought, you know what? It's only 10K. It's not that bad. First, it used to be like anywhere from 10 to 15 miles is what they used to be. Like last time Ooh. I did it, which is stupid because this 10K, you know, it's just a little over six miles. It was a like fine length. And even some of it was too long because it just, they're like, oh, we need to get the extra four or 5K out of this. Let's just loop them through the woods a lot. So there was a lot of us just going <laughs> through the woods with no obstacles. It's like, oh, we should have just done the 5K version. But anyway, I thought it would be in good shape. I was very, very wrong. Um, <laughs> and a lot of it is just being this age now where I am hurting just like my knees and like, oh, ooh, my shins too. Just kind of feeling around my body. My knees really hurt. My elbows really hurt just from like, crawling just the physical act of being on my hands and knees not that's not something you can really train for and i just feel bruised all over i don't know how jason's Oof. doing he was a beast throughout the whole thing he he seemed like he was handling everything just fine but <laughs> a lot of it i was just like man i'm too old for this why are we here but it was fun there's a few new obstacles i hadn't done before one which was like legit scary was hmm. it's called the the cage crawl and what that is is it's like uh two feet deep of water but then a fence a chain link fence over the top of it with only like three or four inches maybe of gap between the fence and the water so Ooh. you have to go on your back and pull yourself along the, the bottom of this fence with, like, basically just your mouth sticking out of the water. And uh, I got cocky because at first I thought, oh, this is easy. But, like, the further I went, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is longer than I thought. Just, like, I dip a little bit without realizing it. And my eyes are closed because the water's so close to the edge of my face that I couldn't tell where I was. And there's some points where maybe the fence got a little closer to the water and I would just like, I'd go under water going up my nose and like, I was, I started panicking. And then because I couldn't tell where I was, I ended up like kind of going at an angle and bumping up on the edge of the other side. And it's just like, wh where's the edge of this? I can't, I, I felt like I was drowning, but really all you have to do is kind of like grab the fence and pull your face up closer to it. But that, that was the hardest part. Wow. Uh, other stupid ones, like the electric eel was probably the most painful, where it's just like a slip and slide, but you can't really 
you can't dive and slide through it. So you're just kind of pulling yourself through this shallow water and then there's electric wires hanging above you. And so you get zapped every once in a while while you're going. And Oof. that freaking hurts. It just it feels like someone just punched you in the back. But then afterwards Ow. you get out and you feel like really energized. It is really weird. Wow, that's uh maybe that was by design, you know. They were they were meaning to charge you up mm, with that yes, uh, exactly. nice bit of water there. Like <laughs> let's let's give these human batteries an extra charge so they can keep going. Exactly. That, that's that's not scientifically valid. Don't follow what I just said, folks. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> too old for it it's like i could keep training i could train a lot harder but then at the same time it's like i don't care i don't i don't (laughs) need to be successful at this i'm just i'm too old to care for it anymore so that might be my last one unless unless there's a special circumstance to do it again like if a big group of friends does it but (laughs) even just that deep breath i took made my back hurt like my whole body just aches so bad (laughs) Uh, we're, we're not meant for this, uh, extreme physical stuff anymore. Let's, uh, let's channel our energy now to talking about our nostalgic pasts. How's okay. that sound? Well, to, to go into a little bit of gaming, I'll, I'll go real quick here. Um, <laughs> as you know, I've been reading through console wars, Sega vs. Nintendo, and it's been so interesting. And I just wanted to give a, a quick little sidebar story from there. And that is the release of Sonic 2 is okay. an interesting story because obviously Sonic 1 was huge. Sonic changed the game and they needed to top that. And it's always hard with a sequel to, you know, how can you be more hype than the first? Or, or, or you know, it's tough. Mm-hmm. You've, set, you've yeah. set a bar. How do you go higher than that? So before Sonic 2 came out, games did not have release dates. They had kind of hmm. release windows as they were done, they'd start getting shipped out across the world, but not a specific date. It'd just be like, oh, I'm, I'm at Walmart. Hey, there's, hey, that game I heard about's out. I didn't know that was going to be here. <laughs> and huh. they decided for Sonic 2, we're going with the very first international release date. This date is coming out this day. I forget the specific day, but it was a Tuesday. They called it Sonic Tuesday. And so okay. that way... They could just hype the entire world. Sonic Tuesday. It is going to be out this time. Go get it. And that's just crazy to think about. Like now it's like everything has a release date. You don't even think about Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. But they came out with the very first one. And I don't know if this is true, but, you know, games and like DVDs, well, DVDs, they used to. Now everything's (laughs) digital. But always came out on Tuesdays. A lot of games still come out on Tuesdays hmm. uh, unless it's like a specific promotion where it's going to come out on a Friday because they want to hit a certain date. But overall, I'd say it's been Tuesdays. And I don't know if this is for sure, but that's probably because of Sonic Tuesday. Huh. Wow. That's kind of cool, actually. It um, is. Just paying homage to that original thing. Yeah. But that's cool. I've, I've been enjoying Console Wars. I should probably finish it by now. But uh, <laughs> again, it's just been making me super appreciative of Sega. And hmm. I was bummed that I missed out on their Sega Genesis uh, Mini, their classic, because it's it's like one of the best reviewed classic consoles that have been re-released. And you hmm. can't get them anymore except for really pricey on eBay. And then a few weeks ago. They announced this, the Genesis Mini 2, which has more games on it and looks like the Genesis redesign, which is kind of the more familiar one to me anyway. And I was like, oh, sweet. They're coming out with this. I'm feeling Sega nostalgia. I'm going to get this. <laughs> but for some reason, they're only releasing it in Japan and creating like 10 times less than they did for the, <laughs> the first classic. So it's going to be pretty rare collectible, really. And we can buy it here. It's on Amazon, uh, mm-hmm. but it ships from Japan. And so okay. it's got some extra shipping cost to it. So it was pretty expensive, but uh, I was like, screw it. I'm, I'm pulling the trigger on it. So I did get it pre-ordered, but some that's something for you. Keep, keep an eye out. If you see those in stores, it's probably a lot cheaper for you to actually okay. get one of those. They come out uh, sometime in October. I'm guessing by the time people hear this, it's around that time. Okay. All right. 
I'll have to keep my eyes open. There's plenty of places I can go look that will carry stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah, something to keep in mind for sure. I'll have to go to Akihabara sometime. Heck yeah. All right, guys. Regionaires, let's get into it. We are 15 minutes into talking about not our main topic. So let's <laughs> talk about music. Let's get a little musical in here. Before we begin, I feel like when it comes to the N64, especially with, I'm going to call these our big three adventure games. We got Super (laughs) Mario 64, Banjo-Kazooie, and Ocarina of Time slash Majora's Mask. Those are the big ones. And they have a lot of very memorable music. And we wanted to actually dive into the inspirations behind that music and and maybe why is it so memorable instead of just being like, oh, well, this is my favorite song. This is my favorite song. Because we kind of did that last week with the favorite items. And I was <laughs> like, we probably should have had a yeah. little more detail, a little more education in there. So before we start, Jake, I just want to pose this question for mm-hmm. our listeners and for you, and then we'll come back and talk about it at the end. But I want to know, did the music of this generation why did it stand out is it better than modern video game music why or why not so Hmm. think about that let's come back to it at the end and uh let's talk about some of this music so jake where would you like to begin i say we start at the very beginning we you've you've done that reference like four (laughs) times jake but this is the most applicable of all those times let's be honest i suppose (laughs) i'm pretty sure we did a top five zelda songs like for a zelda episode (laughs) Did we? Okay. Then in that case, everyone needs a refresher. Uh, So let's start uh, kind of where it all began. I'd say not at the super beginning, but we're going to be focusing on Nintendo today. I want to talk about kind of the basis of what video game music is compared to other media. Okay. Uh, So think about like all the artistic mediums out there. You know, you've got movies, you've got music concerts you've got cds you've got media devices what's a cd what's a cd <laughs> it's a it's it's a compact disc no I'm just that, that doesn't mean anything to me all right go on okay okay so let's think about how it differs from those other media forms and what makes video game music stand out compared to other artistic mediums. And I was doing a little bit of research on this and I kind of found some similar answers from different stories and I thought about it myself. But what I kind of came to realize was video game music hits differently because you're in control of it a lot more so than you would be with the music of a movie, say. Okay. Um, And you're supposed to be. You're almost a part of the artistic process with video game music because you're controlling the implementation of it, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Um, you're controlling when certain ones starts, how it affects you, and depending on your choices, different music is going to play at different intervals. Okay. So I think that's what really makes it stand out for me in uh, in a very interesting artistic sense. So starting from a, a very beginning, um, Space Invaders was, I believe, the first video game to have music. Did you know that, Cameron? Oh, I didn't. I didn't. I can't even picture in my head what that sounded like (laughs) yeah so prior to that at least from my research no other video games had music and even so the backing track for that was very simple dun 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 oh is that music i just thought it was like sound effect of well moving it's Technically, from the research I've done, it's considered music. Well, I would consider music. It's uh, it, it plays even when you're not moving. Yeah. Even when the enemies aren't moving. So. Oh really? Yeah. But uh, they're always moving. What are you talking about? <laughs> after you kill them. Oh, okay. After you shoot them all. But anyway, uh, not not the point here. Let's move um, a little bit further to the early '80s with Nintendo, which is going to be the focus today. Uh, here we start seeing music as more of an artistic tool as opposed to just for pure entertainment or something to fill the gaps. Uh-huh. And I think we should start talking about one of the most famous music composers of all time. Cameron, do you know who I'm talking about? Are you talking about Koji Kondo? Uh, of course not. Yes, I, yes, I am, obviously. Oh, okay, good. 
<laughs> yes, obviously. Uh, Koji Kondo, he was hired at Nintendo in 1983. He was actually one of several different composers at the time. And he was just a new hire, um, nothing too fancy. His first game was Punch-Out. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until 1985 that the music that he was producing for Nintendo started to become very iconic. And he actually lists some of the reasons why he wanted this to happen. But uh, let's talk about why it was 1985. That's when the Super Mario Brothers theme came out. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, the Super Mario Brothers theme is like the most recognizable music theme in the entire world. I mean, for video games. <laughs> I mean, it, it might be more recognizable than just video games. You know? Yeah, like, almost everyone that I can possibly think of has probably heard of the Mario yeah, theme at some absolutely. point in their life. You know? Let's be honest. He actually based some of these early songs from Mario and Zelda on existing songs that I'm going to talk about here in a little bit. But what I was talking about earlier with him wanting to have it an artistic vibe was he had he said in an interview once that some of these songs, he wanted them to sound as if they were not repeated, if that makes sense. He wanted it to complement mm-hmm. the world as opposed to just, you know, live in it. Okay. So, for instance, if you think about the overworld theme in Mario, it's very lively and happy, right? Mm-hmm. And he wanted that to complement the fact that you are running around with a lot of enemies coming at you. He wanted to give this sense of, like, liveliness and urgency as well. Okay. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. It, like, I know that was a major challenge for him and for all video game music is that mm-hmm. how can you make a looping track that's not irritating or boring as you yep. go on and you know uh-huh. perfectly fit that environment and uh yeah that's got to be a big challenge because yeah a lot of times especially for a kid you're gonna be in a level for a very long time hearing yep. the same thing so how do you make it not make you pull your hair out right yes exactly and to combat that each one of the levels or the main areas in Mario Brothers is different. And it's not only like slightly different, it's a completely different song altogether. So if you think about the Underworld theme, mm-hmm. it's a completely different feel. And you can go back and forth in an instant between the Overworld and the Underworld. Yeah. And the Underworld's meant to sound mysterious and like drab. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it, it nails it pretty well. Yep. And then he also stated that the water theme is kind of a waltz. It's got a 3-4 time signature. Mm -hmm. So it sounds very flowy, and it's supposed to make you feel relaxed. Which is ironic, because underwater levels are always the worst. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Has nothing to do with the fluidity of the water. You're right. To be honest, that is kind of a hard part of the game. uh, Just every game. Any game that's got underwater stuff, I'm like, come on, skip this. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I want to bring up some of the actual songs that he based these on. And he was a very big fan of jazz and rock at the time. Yeah. So the Mario theme, I don't know if you know this, Cameron, is based on a song by a band called The Square. It's a song called Adventures. It's a jazz song. Oh, really? Yeah, a Japanese jazz band called The Square, and the song is called Adventures. And there's a portion that sounds very, very similar to the da dun dun da dun dun Back to what I was talking about. He also, because he was doing the um, music for Zelda as well, there's mm-hmm. a song called Morning Glory by Tatsuro Yamashita. And okay. that was the inspiration, or the backing track for that was the Great Fairy Fountain inspiration. And it's really? very, very similar. Yes. <laughs> So it sounds kind of cool. 
uh, and you can definitely hear it. But the coolest one and the most, I guess, uncannily similar was a song called Let's Not Talk About It by Friendship. And that was the inspiration for the Underworld theme in Super Mario. And you can hear it very distinctly. thing is Koji Kondo at the time did not have any background in classical music, mostly right. just kind of modern music, which is kind of cool that, you know, he was able to make these extremely iconic scores that uh, are still remembered to this day. Yeah, because he, he wasn't classically trained, right? He I know he started no. electric organ when he was five. Yeah. But I think it was just mostly like self-taught stuff. Mostly. And he did go to college for it as well. Okay. So. Yeah, I know. Uh, so Nintendo like just posted an ad at his college, his senior year, mm-hmm. and he went for it. Worked the rest out. That's his history. <laughs> yeah, I I was really surprised. He's only sixty one. Wow. Yeah. So he mu- he started like the moment he graduated, and it's just crazy to think of you know how old, how far Nintendo goes back. Like sixty one doesn't seem that old. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let me give you one more fact about Koji cool. Kondo. I just thought it was crazy. Looking at his credits, there's there's too many to name, but he's solely responsible for at least 40 games where it's like Whoa. he is the, the brain behind it. And then he's like credited as being an advisor or being involved in some way on at least 77 more that I counted. Huh. So basically, like anything that's got Mario in the title he's getting credit for even if he doesn't write anything new specifically for that game like it's gonna something he made is going to be used at some point Mm -hmm. so anyway yeah pretty cool that is indeed cool jumping ahead probably 10 ish plus years later we start to see music on the n64 and now we're not getting chip tunes anymore we've got the technology to produce somewhat more realistic quality right true i mean even though a lot of uh work is still i guess midi style yeah for totally perfect but the amount of compression that was necessary to fit on the n64 cards <laughs> yeah for sure but even so a lot of the ocarina of time music was midi style and mm. it just goes to show how song quality can easily you know trump whatever kind of uh instruments you've got even if they're not super realistic like they were on ocarina of time that being Mm -hmm. said uh kondo-san used a lot of sampling for ocarina of time which was very unique at the time what do you mean uh sampling meaning okay i'm gonna go into the story now at this point okay so when he was creating the initial ideas for ocarina of time music he went to a random music shop in Kyoto and bought a stack of sampling CDs that had a bunch of copyright-free just music samples on oh, it um, okay. from all around the world. And that's what makes this, uh, I guess, soundtrack so cool is there's a lot of real-life international music woven into the soundtrack. Yeah. And if you listen to the soundtrack, you will notice a lot of little things. Like, for instance, the first one that I wrote down was in the Great Deku Tree. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is a very fast flute section that's played. And if you listen to the actual flutes, it doesn't sound anything like it. But when you slow it down, you get the entire background track for the Deku Tree. That's slow music and slow flute playing. Yeah, pretty much. It is, but it's cool. Yeah. (laughs) And the one that shocked me most when I was doing this research initially was the Forest Temple. That, I guess, kind of flute breathy noise that's mm-hmm. played mm-hmm. is uh, actual tribal music from africa so yeah you can listen to the sample online huh the one that comes to mind as maybe the most controversial was uh the fire temple mm-hmm. and this had to be reworked because initially uh the 
chanting background in the Fire Temple was an Islamic prayer that I guess Nintendo did not want to associate uh, any religion into it, so they decided to rework it later on. But if you've got an early version of the game, you can hear it. So That's just such an interesting thing that if they wanted to patch something, they had to release a whole new cartridge <laughs> instead of now. It's just like, oh yeah, it's just you yeah, download an update. But yeah, so oh. there's some people that still have like that very first edition release that's got differences in it that the others don't yep including me i've got the original zelda cart the the one that uh, did not have any additional stuff like it was the first uh, original release so it's still got that in the like background the, and i didn't your japanese one is or... uh, no my american one. Oh, okay yeah when i got the game that was not patched yet so i didn't huh. know any better until maybe i was a late teenager and i did some research on that that's cool. I'll have to replay mine because I just have a second-hand version. I don't know which version it is. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. One thing that is interesting about this game, well, there's a lot of things interesting about this game, but one of the biggest challenges for him across Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask there are 20 different songs that you can play on the ocarina, all made of only five tones. There's only five buttons that you can be pressing on your ocarina. Yeah, there's one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, that's five. So, yeah, just, I mean, that's impressive. The, the musical genius, I guess, to create 20 different songs, you know, with different rhythms and emotions that, uh, that come from them, just mm -hmm. from those five tones. So Yeah, for sure. I guess uh, in the spirit of that, Jake, in Ocarina of Time, could you narrow it down? What do, what do you think is like your favorite song? Hmm. Okay, so my favorite Ocarina of Time song, that's tough, but I'm going to have to go with the Forest Temple. Okay. To Why? this day, because it's always been my favorite because it's so different and so, I guess, mysterious compared yeah. to many of the others. And a lot of people consider it creepy. I always thought I always found it just like kind of calming in a way, almost it, like just it's, ethereal. It's a mix of emotions. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand the creepiness, but mm -hmm. also the the calmness of it. It's just uh, very. It, you're right. It's probably my favorite dungeon music in this game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's my all-time favorite of the entire game, just because of the history and the fact that it's so different. And I still like to listen to it, to be honest. <laughs> So yeah, I'll, I'll definitely agree with that. I was thinking along the lines of Ocarina songs when I wrote mine down. Okay. Uh, I'd say it's like a tie between Bolero of Fire and is it Serenade of Water or Serenity mm -hmm. of Water? One of those. Yeah. Bolero of Fire has like this epicness to it. Well, yeah. the water one is more emotional. really is it is if we were going to talk about ocarina songs my favorites would be epona's theme and the song of healing from majora's mask oh cool yeah those are my top two ocarina time or uh, <laughs> ocarina songs in general yeah. all right i like it yeah all right so next let's move on to one of the musical giants here and that is Rareware and the stuff <laughs> that they were putting out. So specifically Banjo-Kazooie. But before we talk about Banjo-Kazooie, I wanted to talk about like two of the main guys who are the ones who created this music. And that is Grant Kirkhope and David Wise or Weiss. It's probably Wise. It's spelled like Wise. <laughs> and okay. uh, these, are, these are the geniuses behind this music. So Grant Kirkhope was born in Edinburgh. I mean, I, it should be said that Rareware is a British company, right? So <laughs> they're going to be British. So Edinburgh, Scotland. I was just there. How cool. <laughs> He's 60 now, but he, he grew up in the presence of, of music. His mom was a music hall dancer. His dad was an avid fan, exposed him to like Frank Sinatra and Glenn Miller. He 
trained himself on guitar when he was 11, but then he was classically trained on trumpet. And Mm -hmm. I think knowing that makes sense hearing like Banjo-Kazooie music, because I think trumpet is one of the most technical instruments. Well, I guess I know nothing. I know nothing but guitar and drums. But I know trumpet's tough. Trumpet is tough, because there's like, you just got to gauge your fingers like exactly where they should be and there's a lot of technicality to it so yeah it takes a lot of stamina too yeah and i think just with the the crazy ups and downs and uh, all the wonderful music in banjo kazooie it makes sense that he knows trumpet so well Mm -hmm. so anyway he's worked on just about every major rare game but surprisingly not diddy kong racing I, oh. I didn't realize that. And now huh. that I kind of think about that, although Diddy Kong Racing is awesome music, it's not really in line with Banjo-Kazooie. There doesn't seem to be a lot of overlap <laughs> there. That's just both fun, you know? Yeah, yeah. But he's also continued working on games today, uh, some outside of Rare, uh, like Ukulele, which was that spiritual successor to Banjo-Kazooie. And a surprised but not surprised to see that he worked on Mario plus Rabbids kingdom battle, which I was telling you a while ago that I was playing through that. And uh-huh. I thought the overworld music sounded very Banjo Kazooie, specifically Jinjo village and Banjo. Uh-huh. It's like, these sound really similar. And now huh. it's like, Oh, now I think there's a hint of self plagiarism there because of how similar they sounded, but makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's got a style. Yeah, he's great. He's been nominated and won tons of video game awards throughout his career, music awards, that is. And then David Wise, he's pretty interesting because he was the only composer for Rare through 1994. So only one making music. So all of Donkey Kong Country is just him. And that game is renowned for how great that music is in that game. Mm -hmm. And the way he got his job is he was working in a music shop and was demoing the Yamaha CX-5 music computer. And he had created a song on that just for demoing purposes. And he was Mm -hmm. showing it off to these guys, Tim and Chris Stamper. And they Mm -hmm. are the founders of Rare. And so, like, basically right there, they're (laughs) like, this is awesome. Do you want to work for us? And so, yeah, he got hired. So the only one making music through 1994. And so, again, he has been working on all those significant rare games that we played. Uh, Banjo-Kazooie, he did do Diddy Kong Racing. He did that, uh, what's that, Mickey Racing USA, that rare uh-huh. <laughs> go, Mickey Mouse go-kart game. Yep, yep. However, he did quit Rare in 2009 just because he felt the company was really changing and it wasn't the same Mm -hmm. as what it used to be. And yeah, I'd I'd say that's pretty accurate because we still don't have a Banjo-Kazooie 3, which we absolutely (laughs) should. So since then, he has worked on more Donkey Kong games. Some of his past colleagues worked at Retro Studios now, uh, which created Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze. So they're like, hey, come do the music for this. So he did the music for DK Tropical Freeze. He was also in ukulele as well. So anyway, nice. these are the geniuses at Rare. And then we have talked about Banjo-Kazooie music a bit in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about how Gruntilda's Lair is heavily inspired by the Teddy Bear Picnic song. <laughs> and yes. uh, you know, just in case you forgot, here's the clip of Teddy Bear Picnic. If you go down in the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise. If you go down in the woods today, you'd better go in disguise. For every bear that ever there was will gather there for certain, because today's the day the teddy bears have their picnic. What really stands out throughout this game is the dynamic music, how it changes depending on where you are. And I, again, we've said this many times, but it's because it's so great. As you get close in the hub world to other worlds that you're going to enter, Grunty's layer changes to match. 
the theme of that level, but there's also some dynamic changes happening in the game as well. For example, uh, anytime you go underwater, the music changes to just a marimba version of that song. And it just gives it okay. a, a light, fun feel. But uh, one of the coolest examples of the, the music in this game is Click Clock Wood. So Click hmm. Clock Wood uses the same song five different ways. You hear just a a quieter, bare-bones version as you enter, like, the main hub of that world. And then as you go into each season, there's variations on it with the spring, the summer, the fall, the winter. Uh, which, Which version, which season would be your favorite musically? That's tough. I always liked the autumn one. I think yeah. that's like the kind of waltzy slow one, right? With the no, that's buzzing the in the background. One. Oh, no, no, no. Summer. Then it's the summer one with okay. the buzzing in the background. Dun, yes. Da, 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 da. Yep, that's it. Yeah, it's, uh, I think the the spring version is like the best you know it's it's the most like complete version of the song right yeah Yeah, I do like the summer one because it is just kind of like slow and lazy and, and it fits summer. <laughs> yep, Mumbo's on vacation and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, you just add some sleigh bells and then it becomes wintry. Yeah, that's true. But... Yep, as, as usual with most video games, right? Sleigh bells <laughs> make the winter level. But that is a... Uh... A very good, very good example of the music in this game and how dynamic and and wonderful it is. And actually, I'd highly recommend to everyone listening, check out 8-Bit Music Theory on YouTube. That's where I watched this video of this guy like breaking down and analyzing all the versions of this song. And I wanted to just insert this whole video into the podcast. I'm like, ah, I, I shouldn't do that. But anyway... <laughs> Check out 8-Bit Music Theory if you're into the music of games. It is really cool. So awesome. there you go. That's that's Banjo-Kazooie, all the, the stuff I had for you. Uh, anything you'd like to add or what is your favorite song in Banjo-Kazooie? My favorite song in Banjo-Kazooie is Freeze Easy Peak. Oh, yeah? Yes. There's something Why? very special about it. I, I might have said this a long time ago, but if I didn't, uh, it's because... First off, the aesthetic is great when you're running, especially on the snowman's scarf. Yeah. And you get those uh, music notes and those feathers that alternate, and it kind of matches up with the music. And it just, it sounds so fun, like like <laughs> Christmas almost. Yeah, it does. It, you're right. That's that's a pretty good song. I would personally have to say, so to not retread Click Clock Wood, I'd probably say Treasure Trove Cove, just because okay. it's very upbeat and beachy and piratey and I think it just suits yeah. the level really well. It just makes you happy to be there. That's true. It's That's a good one, too. And, until you get in the water, and then it gets creepy. And until you fly too high, and then the music goes away. Yes, I hate that when you just hear the wind. <laughs> yes, like indeed. you get up on the, the very peak. Not nearly as bad as hearing that shark, though, whenever you're in the water. stuff comes in here as we talk about our last game, Mario 64. It's me, Mario! Hello! Super yeah. Mario 64, and I actually found a lot of cool stuff about this. First off, all of these facts I'm about to tell you are based off this guy's YouTube video. He's, it's just called James Covenant, and he started this, this series 
of video game music analysis. And then this was his only video. I went like, <laughs> it's like, oh, this is awesome. I need to find out more. I click into his channel. It's like, nope, this was it. Five years ago, what happened? Wow. I messaged him on uh, Twitter. He hadn't responded yet. But anyway, hmm. uh, James Covenant, this is a really cool video about Super Mario 64. So, coming into 3D is a challenge. We're so used to what Mario was in 2D. How do we change things around? And the the title screen of Super Mario 64 is an excellent example of, of how to do this. You know, this was a new <laughs> era for everyone. So, they first... Just show us 3D Mario's head. Here's how yes. we interact with his head. But then we also have a slight variation of the main Mario theme. It's a little more, a little more jazzy, uh, playing in the background. <laughs> and again, that familiarizes people with what to expect. It's like, yeah, this is still Mario. He's, he's in 3D now. We, we're, we're in our comfort zone, right? <laughs> yeah. But... It actually doesn't reuse too much more Mario music throughout this game. Hmm. Everything else is unique to this game. So things that it does reuse, like I said, that title screen, and then when you click the uh, you know the star selection where it goes, you know, <laughs> yep, the, that's a slight version of the the main Mario theme. The yeah. Invincibility theme, which we talked about last week, uh, that's being reused with the metal cap and the, the wing cap and such. Yeah. And the end credits, actually. I didn't realize this. The end credits song is based off of like the same endings from the classic side-scrolling Marios. Okay. But what's really interesting here is that we've got our main Babam Battlefield song. I don't know what it's actually called, but... It's actually reused through multiple levels throughout this game. Okay. Everyone can hear this right now. Our, our bomb bomb Battlefield is used in a lot. But that song is actually kind of reworked throughout the whole game. And you're actually hearing it in different ways without quite realizing it. For example, the slide song. Where you're going uh -huh. down the secret slide. Yeah. This guy, James, he, he showed me if you take the Bob Bomb Battlefield song and change the octave or transpose it so it matches the same octave, really, they can be overlaid and they sound very similar. Huh. Like, kind of like same progression throughout that song. So you're hearing the same song without quite realizing it. And then same can be said for our winter levels. Yep. Okay. They're still the same song. They're just being played differently and at a different uh, key. And I never realized that. So, so much of this game is connected through that music, huh. and you don't even know. Oh, my gosh. It's playing, like, subliminally in your head all this time. That's what's making you remember it. Exactly. All right. Then, of course, we have the, the water theme from Jolly Roger Bay, which yeah. everyone loves. It's just, it's so peaceful and... I just I don't know how to describe it. It's just so it's it's good. It just makes my heart warm thinking about the first time being here and playing this game. Yes. And that has the most dynamic use of music in this game. Where at first yeah. it just got our bare bones version. As you land, mm -hmm. then as you go into water, the strings come in. Starting to get yep. a little more magical. And then as you discover the underwater cave and come up into the cave the percussion comes in and i had read that that was kind of done on purpose like as you're exploring it kind of makes you feel that the satisfaction of what you're discovering right it's mm. like oh this water is uneasy i don't quite know what's here 
ooh, I've made a discovery. Like now I feel like really good. And that's why when you're getting the full version of that song, some people you might not even realize it the first time you're playing. It's it's just kind of when you start to, to dissect it that you notice that these things are happening. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. It's just so cool. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty cool. Now that you mention it, it's probably what makes it good too. One of the reasons. One of yeah. the many reasons. And then another thing this game does really well is the use of leitmotif. Have you heard of leitmotif? I have heard of leitmotif, but go ahead and explain <laughs> to us what it is. So basically, it's just like a a, th- a musical theme that represents something. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so every character kind of has one. Bowser, Peach, Toad. Specifically, let's talk about Bowser. So mm-hmm. his leitmotif is this little theme that plays when you enter the castle. It plays when you try to open a door that you can't get in. Here's what it sounds like. All that's doing is kind of like, it's kind of like building up this theme or this, this presence of Bowser without you really seeing him. It's teasing him. Right. Which then Mm -hmm. makes it all the more satisfying when you finally encounter him and hear the theme at full you know it's it's more epicness it makes it feel like there's been this big build up to meeting him and just yes i'm here i'm fighting bowser it's all coming together yeah that that little light motif used to scare the crap out of me when i was a kid yeah <laughs> i always thought he was around because you hear that roar as soon as you heard that little creepy sound bit <laughs> i always thought like where is he I, I used to, I remember once I couldn't go to sleep because I kept thinking of that music oh, no. <laughs> when I was a little kid. So anyway. Yeah. And then Toad has one. It's, it's kind of forgettable in the context of this game. You know, it's reused in like Luigi's Mansion as well. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's like, but that's on like a harpsichord. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's probably used in other games too. We just haven't really put it together but the the best one here is peaches and so peaches is the inside the castle walls theme and Hmm. you hear it when you first get her letter and then you hear it as you Ah. go into the castle and you also hear a variation of it when she is rescued when she is coming out of the the stained glass at the end This is really cool because it basically is subconsciously giving you this this connection to Peach the entire game, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's what's connecting the two of you together, and has since always been like her theme throughout subsequent games. And so here here's a clip of it from Mario Galaxy. We've really heard it pretty much any time Peach or the castle has kind of been referenced in any other Mario games. And it is so good. I love being in the castle. I love that song. It is the song of childhood. Yes. That was my first big encounter with video games. Super Mario 64. And you spend so much time in that castle, too, that you're just always hearing it. And you're never sick of it. No, it's good. It's just fun. It is. It is great. So, leitmotifs. I, I'd never heard of that before, before researching this. And it's cool just how it's used to kind of connect these characters to you without really uh, seeing them in, in that circumstance. So, yeah, for sure. Um, oh, I did forget the, uh, the the underground theme is reused yep. in uh, Hazy Maze Cave, right? So, ah, I forgot that's that right. one. Anyway, okay, so one more thing. <laughs> is the file select file select screen has this cool 90s pan flute (laughs) 
And I always loved that, but I was thinking it's it's kind of weird because it's disconnected a bit from the rest of the game. It doesn't quite fit everything else. But James Covenant in this video, he he thought that this was a good representation of what Koji Kondo was going for of uh, making a bookend, like of hmm. having this game feel balanced. And you hear that pan flute there in the file select, and then you hear the pan flute again in the final credits song. It comes in about halfway through, and it okay. just kind of gives you that, that closure, balance to the game. Maybe that's why I love the end credits so much. I think it's it is one of my favorite parts when that pan flute comes in. It's a good part. I can hear it right now in my head. That end credits is just so good. I remember like feeling tearful hearing it as a kid because it's yeah. you know it represents such a buildup of mm-hmm. trying to beat that game. And man, I struggled on the last Bowser level and, and killing Bowser because you got to, mm-hmm. you know, hit three bombs as the whole world's falling apart. And yes. I used to come home. There was one point in my life where I'd come home from school every day and, and beat Bowser just so I could yeah. hear that song. And now we're so spoiled. I can just bring it up on YouTube and hear it. But <laughs> it's just, it's such a good conclusive song to that game. And on top of that, you get a nice little video montage of all the levels that you've yeah. encountered up to that point. And it's like revisiting everything that you just did. Right. That, that's what makes it even better. Yeah. It's like, wow, I conquered all this. Yeah. So there we go. A lot of awesome musical work has gone into all of these games. But yeah, that stuff in Mario 64, I thought it was really cool. So before we end it or move on to our conclusive question here, Jake, what would you say is your favorite track from Super Mario 64? So I narrowed it down to two and I decided to give one of them the honorary title. So I'm going to just do it, which would go to Dire Dire Docs, amazing song. But my favorite has got to be Ultimate Bowser, which is ironic because those two songs are complete opposite ends of the spectrum. You got calm and relaxed versus like creepy and haunted. Yeah, the, very the, haunted. Yeah, it's it's so like powerful and boisterous played on an organ. Mm-hmm. And I always liked it. I remember going to that level just so I could hear that song. Yeah. And it just, it was so commanding. I loved it. Yeah, and I love the main Bowser track. And you hear that mm-hmm. in the first two times you fight him. And then... Yeah. I remember just being so shocked. This third one was like, whoa, what is this? It definitely gives it some epic finality to that game. Yeah, that's for sure. And it makes you feel so powerful. And it makes that battle feel so much more epic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just a goofy little kid's song. This is like a real serious, creepy song. Agreed. What about you? <laughs> I couldn't pick one. I'd say file select <laughs> theme, Bowser's theme, and in credits. It's cool. Just, it's so great. Yeah, those are all great. Let's wrap it up with, with this last question. Mm-hmm. Was video game music better back then in the N64 era than it is now? Why or why not? Well, I had to write down a few ideas on this question because I couldn't come to a good answer and I kept thinking of new stuff. Uh, so I would say, to start off... This question for me was difficult to answer because I feel like it's not fair to compare the two on grounds of artistic quality, if that makes sense. Okay. For instance, technology has grown quite a bit, right? And it's a lot better than it was back in the day. True. So I think it's totally fair to say that music has gotten a lot higher in like quality yeah of uh, as far as like digital clarity uh ease of access and like storage and size and sure. lack of compression goes right but i guess like if you're comparing the types of music old versus new on artistic integrity i think it's just different like 
different zeitgeists, different uh, different goals because of different limitations yeah. and what the what the consumers wanted. And actually, like I came to this conclusion because uh, the past couple of days I've been playing uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey and Valhalla, mm-hmm. and for some reason I made this very interesting connection. And I thought, okay, so is medieval and Greek art worse because it's old? No, it's just different and. Those styles are still being replicated to this day. Yeah. Think about like, you know, yeah, we're coming out with new tracks and new scores for video games all the time, but Mario is constantly reworked into a different uh, format. So is Zelda in those sure. same themes that came out of the early days of video games are still very popular and epic. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I think it's un- unfair to judge the two on, on terms of artistic <laughs> quality. Okay. It's different. <laughs> What about you? <laughs> so you're right. They, they're very different. They have very different goals in mind for what they're trying to elicit through mm-hmm. this music. And I would say when it comes to what is more memorable, what is more iconic, it is this older music. Mm-hmm. And especially because they did it so well the first time that it's just kind of been derivatively reused going forward. Mm. There's some variations of that um, in some... Um, Conflictions to what I just said. Yeah. Like Mario Odyssey, there's not a lot of memorable music in that, but Jump Up Superstar that plays in New Donk City, I think that's really great and it's really memorable. Mm-hmm. But I think, as what you're saying, you know, the types of games we're playing are not the same. We're not yeah. playing adventure games in the same way we were on the N64, where you're just stuck in one level for a long time. And yeah. because of that, it helps that those songs are earworms cause, so you don't get sick of them because you're in there for so long. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. It, it's such a segmented section of a game. While now, it's a game is much more organic and non-linear, and the music fits that as you progress through a game. I would say that, yes, a lot more music now is very cinematic. It's very immersive. But I can't remember any of it. It's not like, <laughs> hey, play a... You remember that song that plays uh, in uh, in The Last of Us when you see the giraffe? It's like, no, I just remember the feeling of that, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess time will tell, but you're right. There, there, not, there are not nearly as many, it seems yeah. like. And, and I guess like that's the same for a lot of media now. And we've had mm-hmm. this discussion before, but it's like, yeah. I, you can't... I can't tell you music from a superhero movie, but I can tell you Darth Vader's theme, right? The light yeah. motif. Because yep, yep. there are certain themes that fit certain situations. So uh, to just wrap it up, I'd say, yes, I think the music was better at being video game music and mm-hmm. more iconic and memorable. However, today, the music is better at more immersing you without quite drawing attention to is the music a good song or not. Okay. Interesting. So it's a yes and no, similar to what you said. (laughs) (laughs) I I can get behind that. I think that's a good answer. Very well thought out. Thank you. Thank you. I just thought of it right now. I was just making that up as I went. Improvisation skills. (laughs) Very nice. There we go, guys. Uh, This episode, I apologize, is a lot longer than I thought it would be. I seriously thought this would be like a 45-minute episode, but uh, there's a lot of good stuff here. Yeah. Go listen to your favorites video game track. Tell us what you think. What What are your favorites? Is Was this era better than the current era? You tell us. You can through our, our email, regionunlockedpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram or on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Thanks for your support, Regionaires. Yes. Oh, yeah. Support us on Patreon, too. Just like our cool friends, Jason, Caitlin, Luke, and Malik, and some other unknown patrons. <laughs> you help get up these episodes uploaded. Enough Midwestern goodbye. My name's Cameron. And I'm Jake. And have a wonderfully musical week. Minasan, sayonara. Sayonara.